Hey there, language lovers. Welcome to the latest episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm Shannon Kennedy, co-host along with Benny Lewis. And in this episode, we're chatting with Han, a participant in the Fluent in Three Months Challenge. What's the Fluent in Three Months Challenge? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's a 90-day challenge where you join a community of learners aiming to have a 15-minute conversation in their target languages. We've seen thousands of learners, including Han and myself, achieve this milestone. And if you're interested in joining us or learning more, you can visit languagehacking.com slash challenge. Now back to this episode where we chat about how parents can encourage their kids to embrace their native languages, using your technical skills to learn languages, the ways language creates cultural connections, Han's experience in the Fluent in Three Months Challenge and the importance of accountability, learning similar languages, and when it's the right time to learn your next language after learning your first, second language. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast or the podcast in general, we always love hearing from you. You can let us know what you think over at languagehacking.com slash review. As always, all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode are available to you as a part of the show notes. Now let's get into our chat with Han. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 80. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. My name is Shannon Kennedy and I'm your co-host along with Benny Lewis. And today we're chatting with Han, who is a participant in the Fluent in Three Months Challenge about his experience learning languages with us in the challenge. But before we get into that, let's go a little bit farther back. Han, do you want to share your story about how you got into languages? It is a very long story, but I'll try to keep it as brief as I can. I am actually a uh, Canadian-born Malaysian Chinese. My parents migrated from Malaysia, and they're Chinese in, uh, in ethnicity. And we moved to a small northern town in northern Canada. I was the only Chinese student at my school when I was growing up. Now, I actually don't remember these details because I was very young and my memory's hazy about that time. But my mom told me when I was younger, the reason why I stopped learning Cantonese, which is our native language, was because the kids made fun of me and, you know, I looked different. I spoke different. So I came home and told her I don't want to speak Cantonese anymore. So it was just English from then on for the rest of my life. I've hit many roads and had many hobbies and careers, but eventually it came down to, I don't know, just, you know, you go through, you go through the YouTube rabbit hole and I was looking at people who spoke different languages. I said, like, I wonder how many other people speak Cantonese and looking online and oh, ran to some, uh, some polyglots or uh, uh, other Cantonese uh, speakers who were not native Cantonese. And then I came across Benny's uh, Fluent in Three Months uh, website. If you remember that old website of yours, Benny, where you were just selling a Fluent in Three Months as just a product, that's how far back I go with you. I bought that product. Uh, I, I downloaded all the materials, read through it. And, you know, the one thing that always stuck with me and what kept me coming back to you was your whole concept of speak from day one. My career was really busy because I've been IT and I started a business doing that, which is still running today. And I thought to myself, you know, if I ever have time, then I really should join one of your um, challenges. And I started uh, building my business to be more cloud-based so I didn't have to go into client offices and stuff like that to do my work. So I was able to work from home. And that's when I thought, you know, this is perfect timing for me to join one of your challenges. And it was actually really weird because it was right on the cusp of COVID-19. So 
yeah, I started, I decided, you know, I really want to get back into Cantonese. My Cantonese is just terrible. It was in my like maybe early 30s that I was really interested in Cantonese. And I actually moved to Malaysia for six months. I was like, I'm going to move there to the, the country of my parents' origin and learn the language there. And it was very unsuccessful, very similar to your Spanish story of living in Spain, Benny. So when I uh, came back, I was even more determined. And that's really those two things were the tipping points that made me think I really, I really got to learn Cantonese. So I did it. I took it as a challenge and I really surprised myself at how much I actually knew and how much I remembered. After that, I was thinking to myself, well, I have another pet project that I've always wanted to learn, which is Mandarin, because it's, you know, it's a growing force in the world. It's the most spoken language in the world right now. Uh, and all of my cousins uh, have switched from Cantonese to Mandarin uh, because of schooling standards and work standards and stuff like that. So to be able to communicate with them in that target language would be the best. I remember reading somewhere that like if you speak to someone in your own language, you're kind of speaking to the person's mind. But if you speak to someone in their target language, you speak into their heart. And that's a, also a really good quote that I enjoyed. That's Nelson Mandela, that quote there. Very, very lovely quote. I'm curious uh, if we go back a little bit. If your parents could have done some, something different uh, at that stage when you were growing up to encourage you to, to learn Cantonese, because some people listening, maybe they're in somewhat similar situation. They would love for their children to embrace their own mother tongue. But there are these issues of, well, they're, maybe they're going to have an accent or something. What do you wish would have happened differently that could have helped you to embrace Cantonese when you were younger? I think my parents did everything that they possibly could given the situation. Like just because I stopped wanting to learn it or stopped wanting to speak it didn't stop them from speaking it to me. So it ingrained, I have the ear for hearing Cantonese, which really helped. One thing I learned with this challenge was like speaking, reading, writing, and hearing are four totally separate skills in language learning. They're each separate muscles. You have to, it's like, you know, leg day and who wants, he likes leg day. So you gotta, you gotta stretch, stretch out each muscle one at a time. And that's how you get good at either one of them. Just because you learn how to speak doesn't mean you're good at either hearing or you're good at reading or you're good at writing. I wish my parents would have at least kind of put me through some sort of school. Cause back then, like I'm a seventies kid. So uh, I grew up in the eighties. And we didn't have the internet back then. So in this day and age, I mean, for, for aspiring parents who are facing the same kind of problem uh, with their kids that I went through when I was growing up, the internet is a wonderful thing. You can throw them onto a website like italki, put them on with a tutor. And, you know, if, even if they spend like one hour a week, it's already more than enough to get them started and build that block, that bug, put that bug in their ear to, to really want to learn that language and really connect because language is culture too. The reason why I want to learn my language is because I want to get more in touch with my culture. I lost a lot of it. I really am the stereotypical, you know, Canadian Chinese who's assimilated himself to the Canadian culture. Just rediscovering my roots has been really amazing for me. How did you discover the challenge and what was it about it that made you go, this seems like a good fit for me? It really was just all a culmination of timing. And at the time, I was actually following a, uh, a business blogger, uh, Ramit Saiti. Shout out to Ramit. And one of my favorite quotes of his, it was actually a quote from his parents, which is, in a year's time, you're going to be a year older. What are you going to do? Which means that if you're going to look at a year later and look back at your time spent the year before, you know, and what you accomplished, uh, would you be happy with it or not? 
And I thought enough is enough. I got to stop making excuses. And people who say I don't have enough time really don't realize that there is more than enough time in the world if you really care passionately enough about it to pursue it. So you just have to find that reason, you know, that reason for wanting to pursue languages. Languages, like I said, are the, the core of communication and the core of culture. And especially when you uh, are interested in other cultures or even have a culture that you want to uh, kind of reconnect with. So you, you've clearly been having success with the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, but for a lot of people, the concept of, well, if I go to the country that speaks the language and you'll find plenty of Cantonese over Malaysia, that'll solve my problem. And as, as you mentioned, I thought that myself, I thought just breathing in Spanish air will magically make me speak Spanish, you know? Uh, so what went wrong on that trip to Malaysia? Why was it not as successful as joining an online community like the challenge? Well, here's the problem for me. Is this, is, this is my specific situation. Most of my family, they speak Cantonese, but they also speak English. And they love any opportunity to practice their English. So when, you, when I went over there, I was expecting I'm going to force myself to speak Cantonese with them as much as possible. At the time, I was still reading your blog. So I was like, speak from day one. What can go wrong? Everyone wants to speak English. And they want to listen to English. So they'd always say, English, please. And I'm like... Okay, but when is it my turn? So <laughs> that's just my specific situation. The other situation could also be like, you know, you've stage fright when you get there or the worst things like you know, your mind goes blank, which has happened to me a couple of times before, you know, you know, you can speak the language, but your mind goes blank. Just uh, call it jitters or whatever it is. Going to a country certainly can help if you go prepared. And I definitely was not prepared. The most important thing is consistency. You got to give yourself uh, a time, a goal, and even just maybe even like a special specific time of day where you absorb and, and learn better and just like make sure that you keep at it. Don't give up. I mean, the one thing that the challenge has taught me is that if you fall off the wagon, just pick yourself up. Don't feel bad about it. it happens to ever the best of us and just get back on the wagon again and you'll be fine. So you mentioned one of the things that a lot of language learners are kind of afraid of or intimidated by when you go somewhere with the intention of practicing the language and you don't get that opportunity. So have you developed any strategies for when this occurs, when people insist on practicing English with you and you really want to practice Cantonese or Mandarin? Well, this is my, uh, this is, this is something that I've done. It's kind of innocuous, but you know what? Keep speaking in their target language anyway. They're, they're still going to get their practice speaking English. And it's also a good way for you to kind of like trade languages as well. You know, I mean, when I hear them say something wrong in English, I will correct them, but I'll correct them in, in their target language, Mandarin or, Chi or Cantonese, whichever it may be. Yeah. And I, I definitely would follow that same pattern. And I think the, the situation you had where people want to speak English to you is, is extremely common. And if anything, Looking like I do, people would immediately say, oh, I have to speak English with this guy. So it's uh, it's been a thorn in my side for many of my own trips as well. But like you said, you, you push forward, You especially if you're um, consistently using that language, it'll make a very big difference. And another thing you and I have in common is we come from a technical background. And I'm wondering, is this something that has ever... Because uh, for me, for a long time, that was actually a part of the problem for me. I thought, you know, I'm good at IT, I'm good at computers, therefore I'm bad at languages. Like, did you take French in school and maybe not succeed at that? Or do you have a, a, a history with trying to tie in your technical skills and your language abilities? In Canada, we're a bilingual country, as you know, but we have many other languages that are speaking, spoken here, especially by the indigenous people of Canada. And when we were in school, 
uh, we were given a choice in grade four. You had to take a uh, second language course. It had to be either French or it had to be Cree. Those are your only options. So I went with French because I was thinking, well, French Canada, I mean, may as well speak some uh, Quebecois or whatever. And yeah, I mean, at the beginning, it was difficult because, I mean, the only other concept that I knew of another language was Cantonese. But, you know, as I started seeing more similarities between French and, and English, it started to kind of click for me, which is really weird. There's the whole like uh, parental Asian parent thing of like, oh, well, you know, uh, your grades need to be really good. You have to be, they have to be really good. You're an Asian, not a Bijan. So that's the, the big joke, the insider joke there. I'm sure lots of uh, Asian listeners will definitely relate to that. I was definitely not an A student going through school. I was always not disinterested and always easily distracted and I daydreamed a lot. But the one thing that I always was good at was French class. I always scored A's and A pluses there. And my parents would be like, why? Why this? And I was like, I don't know. I just, I just like learning French. I can't explain why. And it persisted even through high school when it became an elective. We didn't have to take it mandatorily anymore. But I kept taking those courses and they were kind of like my bread and butter. I would look forward to those classes and uh, my, my French excelled. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a shame because I never, I, at the time, I was also, when I was 10 years old, I, I got into computers at the same time. And, you know, that really took off as well at the same time. And the teachers, the school counselors would say, oh, you know, just go into computers. You're really good at computers. And I was like, I, I, I'm kind of kicking myself because like I could have had a career in linguistics. You know, I'm, I'm interested in stuff like etymology, language culture. Just uh, I don't know why that never happened. Just a missed opportunity. But you know what? It's, it's never too late. You know, I mean, I'm kind of finding that new that new second career in my life as uh, my IT business kind of like, you know, starts to go on automation right now. You've mentioned a few times about how language is important for understanding culture and connecting to culture. And I'm wondering if in going back and learning your heritage languages, if you've had any kind of moments where those connections have come together for you? I mean, sure. I mean, when you uh, hear certain words and see how they kind of connect together, uh, especially in, in Chinese, it's really interesting to see how do words come out, you know, like, uh, for example, the, the word for, for computer, I'll use it as an example, is now, uh, and in Cantonese is dino. But, uh, and so funny, because the two words, electric and brain, are what jo join together to create the word computer. So it's a very logical language, which I find really interesting. And it, it makes you think that the entirety of like Chinese people are like logical. Matt, I don't know if it's true or not, but I mean, maybe in, the, in, in you know, the ancestral days of the language being developed, uh, I can imagine seeing that sort of logic uh, that stems from that culture. And, uh, and it's really interesting, too, because you kind of see it in also the more, you know, recent uh, news of people like you know, getting their eyes open, seeing like, oh, you know, China's just this backwater country with like, you know, mountains and hills and beautiful scenery and the Great Wall. And you go there and they're like towering city, super fast speed trains. And you're like, what's going on? When did this happen? <laughs> so it, it's, it's, it really speaks to uh, the ingenuity of the Chinese culture where like they want to improve always, you know? So, and, and every, and, and, and although I haven't delved into a lot of other cultures uh, in terms of the language, I studied Japanese when I was in high school just for fun. Uh, Cause I was really into anime when I was growing up. Yeah. And, and I kind of see that as well with them too. They have that work ethic and, and the language is just kind of like kind of very similar to Chinese as well. Right. Cause they kind of borrow from the same idea. Yeah. I mean, those are kind of like, I don't know if they're aha moments, but I definitely do recognize them when I, when I see them. And it kind of is like, a, oh, that's kind of neat when I encounter that. So I've asked you about uh, some of the pitfalls you've, you've faced over the years in language learning. But as we mentioned, you've been a big uh, part of the 
um, Fluent in Three Months Challenge. So I'd love to hear how has that experience been and why was that different to going to Malaysia and trying to speak with your family? Oh, well, uh, you know what? I'm going to sum that up with just two words, accountability partners. It makes such a huge difference when you have other people who are joining you in your journey for language learning. In my second challenge, I met uh, a couple of friends within the challenge who were in the same dream team as myself. And, you know, to this day, even though we're not learning the same languages, we still meet every Saturday without fail and just catch up on uh, on our language journey and just BS a little bit. And yeah, we've really grown a really good friendship, but we still push each other and share like, you know, some of our new strategies is something like, oh, here's a new app that I, we, I discovered or this is there's an awesome book that I discovered to help with this uh, with learning Mandarin. And uh, it was uh, it's it's amazing that uh, these these friendships that you forge uh, through the challenge, because the challenge in uh, of itself, it makes sense. You could do it solo. But I mean, where's the fun in that? Now you've come back and you've done more than one challenge. So what was a part of that decision to do another challenge? Well, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to it worked for me the first time and it worked for me the second time. So it'll work for me the third time and then the fourth time and, and so on and so forth. I've taken a bit of a break from the challenge uh, currently, but uh, I'm planning to come back for another language and uh, yeah, see how that goes. I haven't decided yet, either Japanese or Korean. And you got your initial momentum with the Cantonese and it's been like opening up a lot for you. So how was it starting with the Mandarin? Because, you know, a lot of people have this idea that the more languages you, you learn, the easier it gets. So ov- obviously Mandarin has commonalities with Cantonese. So you have that a, l- a little bit of an edge. But um, how was that learning Mandarin experience different to learning Cantonese with the channel? Well, I mean, one thing for sure is that, yeah, although there were some commonalities and I had a little bit of an edge, it wasn't that much more. I would it, it, it just... Uh, Mandarin is so, not structurally, but just entirely elsewhere, you know, a completely different language. Tones are completely different. You know, words are, some words are slightly similar, but because of the tones, they just don't sound the same. If you've never learned uh, any kind of Chinese language, it's very tone driven. And if you spell, if you, even if you're saying the word, if you don't use the correct tone, you've got it wrong. And people will, will misunderstand you and won't be able to extrapolate what it is you're trying to say. Some of the smarter ones who speak other languages might be able to, but it very much, I, I always like to say that Chinese, they're musical languages. If you don't have the correct notes, then the song is wrong. So yeah, it was really extremely different because uh, for me, I want to make sure that I had the tones down right. I have a silent pressure on my head because of the way I look, uh, that when my mouth opens up, it better be speaking as fluently as possible. The first challenge was spent just brushing up the tone. So I didn't make a lot of headway with the language. And that's also part of the reason why I came back for the second challenge because I was like, okay, now I'm going to actually like speak more and you know increase my vocabulary and all that fun stuff. Because I was spending most of the time in the first challenge just working on the tones and just building the basic vocabulary. I think I got through like, you know, half of HSK1. So it was, it's a very, very different. It did not feel easy at all. I definitely had to put more work into it compared to Cantonese. Like, as I mentioned, Cantonese was my first challenge and it was the only challenge where I learned Cantonese because I already had a good foundation in it already. And after the challenge was over, I thought, you know, I'm just going to keep speaking to my parents. That'll be my practice. And I still have my italki session with the same tutor that I started with every Saturday. So no problem there. That I, I'm not, no need to really check in on that. And Cantonese isn't, wasn't really a, a popular language in FI3M. So I didn't really have any partners that I connected with during the first challenge. The second challenge is really where it really 
you know, it was a home run for me. So, um, but it was more difficult, but I felt it's more rewarding. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I think that was, that's the biggest difference is just, it was very difficult, but I was really, really happy with, with seeing where I started from on my day zero and where I ended up with on day 90. One of the questions that often comes up with challengers or language learners who are in your position where they're interested in learning multiple languages or at the stage where they're making the decision about whether to continue with a language or learn a new language, struggle with making that decision because they're not sure if they should keep investing time into the first language they were already studying or start to learn that next language. So what has that process been like for you in deciding when to keep going with a language or when to start studying a new language? I think that is different for everybody, right? Really. I mean, everyone has the reasons for wanting to learn a particular language, uh, whether it's because of uh, family reasons, personal reasons, or maybe just an interest, a passing interest. Uh, I find that the closer a language is to your heart, the more you want to learn it. Mandarin for me, especially has been really close to my heart because it's kind of like the root of all Chinese right now. Even the name of it, like in, in, in Chinese, is Putonghua, which is like, you know, co- the common language. Uh, so as, as a sense, like, and, and I mentioned earlier, in, uh, earlier just now that there's like four different skills that you have to learn when it comes to learning a language, right? Reading, writing, speaking, hearing. And I had to exercise each one of those separately. So for me, I wanted to exercise each one of those. And I was especially interested in writing. And I know that, in, in Benny, in your podcasts and in your blogs, you've always said that, you know, you don't need to learn to write. It's, there's no pressure to do it. You don't have to be perfect at the language. But to me, it's my pet project to be perfect at the language. And I wanted to learn reading and I wanted to learn writing. And I spent just as much time on those skills as well as speaking and listening. So uh, to me, that's been my motivation for continuing to learn the language. I love other languages. I'm definitely going to learn more. Uh, but right now, Mandarin is kind of like my baby. And I want to foster it as much as possible and help it grow until it's, uh, you know, I don't even have to think about it anymore. Yeah, I could just put it on maintenance mode. Uh, Cantonese is kind of like that right now, too. It's, it's on maintenance mode. Uh, I'm still, it's, it's still improving, just at a slower rate. But uh, I speak with my parents almost every day. And I'm, and I'm always like, you know, surprising myself with more words that I, I pick up. And, uh, and, and as well with the commonalities in Mandarin, it's interesting how many other words I'm able to like, oh, yeah, I remember this word is this in, in Mandarin and in Cantonese. It, maybe it's this. And I try it out and my parents are like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. So, yeah, th- those are just, that's what works for me. I don't know if it's going to work for everyone else, but maybe people who are of my uh, upbringing and, uh, and, you know, uh, cultural roots uh, probably might apply to them. I think a lot of people listening who might have some kind of a a similar background that they come from a different culture to what they live in, it can feel very isolating. And something that you said that I really liked was one of the uh, catalysts that have been transformative in this experience to making it a lot more successful for you is the accountability buddies. So for anybody listening who's had a much more solo experience in their languages for a long time and they haven't really had any success, what would you tell them to convince them to maybe uh, be open to the possibility of having an accountability buddy and how much that can change their experience? Accountability partners are a two-way street, right? Because not only are they an accountability partner to you, but you're also an accountability partner to them as well. I've always found that if you want to improve yourself, help improve others as well. 
and helping others helps you see some of the faults in your own learning process. Because when you see things from the outside in, you just get a, bit, a different perspective on your own learning habits and, and maybe some of the things that you can improve on your own. And plus, you'll get that feedback from your accountability partner. The other thing as well is also keeping a schedule. If you want to keep a schedule, you can't rely on yourself because, you know, it's so easy to convince yourself, oh, I'm just going to skip today and uh, I'll, I'll continue tomorrow. And then tomorrow you're like, eh, I'm not feeling well, maybe the next day. And it's very easy to backslide. Whereas an accountability partner will basically tell you, you know, get up off your butt, you know, go put the 15 minutes in or whatever your your goal was for the day. Break it up over the day if you have to, whatever it is, check in with me tomorrow and I'll see how you're doing, you know, and then, you know, I'll give you more encouragement. Giving encouragement is so important. It's also a Buddhist philosophy that which I follow as well. I'm also Buddhist of being able to encourage others because when you encourage others, you really lift yourself up and and give them the opportunity to encourage you back as well. It's a really nice circle of life philosophy, I find. If you haven't tried out an accountability partner before, you need to do it. It's amazing. And you'll start to see that open up in other areas of your life too. Like where, when you're at work, you know, if like maybe you see someone who's like, you know, at work and not uh, maybe performing as well as they could, you can give them encouragement. Encouragement goes in many different areas of your life. And I find that with language learning, it's just as important, if not more so. Now, as a part of the challenge, you're required to complete four videos on days 0, 30, 60, and 90. And that day 90 video is where you have a 15-minute conversation in the language that you've been learning over the past three months. So how did your 90-day conversations go? How did you feel in preparing for them and after they had happened? Tell us a little bit about the story behind your 90-day videos. All right. So the first 90 day video was Cantonese. So we'll just skip that because that one was obviously a success. No problem. Uh, the second one with Mandarin, that was it was good in the sense that I was able to speak for five minutes. Now, 15 minutes is definitely a target uh, that you have to reach, but you don't have to achieve on your first 90 day video. And I see so many of my fellow uh, challengers uh, stressed about it in the past. And we've always said, you know what, you, know, you spoke at least five minutes. You, that means you're one third of the way there. So the next challenge, let's up that to 10. And then the next challenge after that, let's up that to 15. Or if you can reach 15 in the next challenge, definitely try to do that. Like I said, my first 90-day video was like five minutes. I wasn't too happy about it. But like I said, you know, my accountability buddies told me, that, you know what, you did a great job. You reached five minutes. That's more than what you did on your first video, which was like less than a minute of you like counting the numbers one to 10 and saying, I am my name or whatever like that. And being able to, to, to achieve that is, is a victory in and of itself. You're only going to get better from here on out. It's an, up, it's, it's an uphill struggle, but you're moving up, which is the most important thing. And it, by, I think it was by the third challenge with Mandarin, I didn't even realize I, I, I exceeded 15 and I actually finished the video at 17 minutes. I was like, whoa, what happened there? That video was like a switch was flipped. And I was like, all of a sudden I was like, I was fluent in a way that I was happy with. I think it's so, so crucial that we look back on our successes. And like you said, when you were producing a five minute video and you were feeling bad, like, oh no, it should have been 15 minutes. The other people were saying, look at how far you've come. So were there other moments throughout the challenge that like in the moment, maybe you were feeling I'm not doing as well as I wish I could, but looking back now, you can actually feel proud of those successes. Oh, absolutely. There's too many to, to really even name. At the end of the day, uh, any forward progress is progress. A very good saying is that, you know, like every big movement begins with a small step. Keep putting one foot in front of the other and uh, you'll go far. You will. 
it's math, right? I mean, you just move forward and then you'll, you'll count your steps and you know, you've made it that far. So you're talking about how steps are steps forward and mathematically that adds up to more progress. But one of the things that often happens is when we're making those steps is we aren't able to see the distance that we've made. So we turn around and you're just like, oh, that's only three steps forward. I can still see my starting point. So how do you maintain your motivation to keep making those steps forward when they might not necessarily be getting you to your destination as quickly as you'd like? Well, to quote George Michael, you got to have faith and it'll work out. You just keep, just keep walking. Just keep walking. Excellent. So one question we always like to ask people when they come on the language hacking podcast is what is your definition of language hacking? To me, the definition of language hacking is basically like, just like a computer hacker, you're showing your interest and breaking things apart to understand how it works and how to make it better. And language hacking is a way to improve yourself. Uh, because like when you learn about other cultures, you really enrich your own. I mean, coming from two different worlds, you know, Canada and Malaysia, I, it's, I feel it's given me a good and interesting perspective on life. I'm a lot more interested in what other cultures do and, and why they do things. And I'm always, I just find that extremely interesting and, uh, and very humbling. Uh, in this large world, because, you know, in the end of the day, we're just like, you know, one person on this giant planet in the entire universe. And, you know, what, what do we matter? But we really matter a lot. And to collectively, as human beings, I find that languages can really bring us together. Culture can really bring us together. You know, we, we, we need to, especially in this world today of, uh, of how chaotic it is, I think understanding each other from a cultural level is so much more important now than ever before. And, uh, and I think languages are a great gateway into that. Excellent. Well, we appreciate you joining us on the podcast and sharing your story, learning multiple languages with us as a part of the Fluent in Three Months Challenge. And I look forward to hopefully seeing you in another challenge in the future. And until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning to everybody. At the end of each episode, Benny and I like to share something that we each took away from our conversation with our guest. And this is something that you can try out in your own language learning to see how it can help your studies get to the next level. So we encourage you this next week to try out what Benny and I share as our takeaways. So Benny, if you don't mind, I'll go first. So my takeaway was what Han said about how you need to help others to help yourself. And I think that this may seem counterintuitive because it obviously takes time to help other people and you need that time to help yourself. But really what you'll find is in helping others, you not only create a more positive mindset and a positive environment for your own learning, but you also in helping others and in being an accountability partner for others, kind of start to figure out things that really work for you and stuff starts to click. And it also helps you better internalize the takeaways that you're having as a part of something like the Fluent in Three Months Challenge to implement in your own learning. So my takeaway this week would be helping others to help yourself. So, you know, reach out and connect with people who are doing things that you're interested in, doing things that you're learning and providing a way for them to kind of check in and have some accountability so that you can also in return have that for yourself. Benny, what was your takeaway? I do want to echo what you said, because especially in these times, a lot of people can feel very isolated. And I'm sure people listening are all looking for, you know, what's the best way for me to learn a language? And they think that the answer may be something that they do, like some course or whatever. But ultimately, coordinating with other people, it lifts you up. It does make a world of difference. And I do want to echo that. 
But uh, other than that, I would say I really liked what he was saying that, you know, at the end of his three months, he was producing a five minute video when ideally he wanted to produce a 15 minute one. And it's very easy to look at a snapshot in your progress and just consider yourself a big failure. And that's happened to me many, many times that I've put in work for months and then I'm not where I wanted to be. And I go hard on myself, you know, going back to the point we just mentioned that having uh, accountability partners who build you up and encourage you can help you see that it's an incredible thing that even if you originally wanted to be able to have a 15 minute conversation, if you're having a five minute conversation when you absolutely could not do that before your project, this is a huge achievement. It's something to be proud of and it's something you can build upon. You can still reach that goal, even if it'll take you a bit longer than you thought it would. But I would recommend people who are thinking, I'm not making any progress in this language to maybe share their story with somebody close to you. If you're not a part of a community like the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, if you share it with somebody else, they can help build you up and they can show you that this is actually a really good place considering where you're coming from. And we tend to be a bit too hard on ourselves and forget that we are making progress. And uh, I like that he mentioned that during, during today's chat. Absolutely. So once again, to close out, if you enjoy this episode of the podcast or the Language Hacking Podcast in general, we always appreciate hearing from you. You can let us know what you think over at languagehacking.com slash review. And all of the links, resources, and everything else mentioned in this episode will be available to you as a part of the show notes. Until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Katie Pascoe, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and happy language learning.